You're listening to Rock's Art Radio. This month, Roxana Moran speaks with Paul Yock about innovation in cardiology. Hello, everyone. It's Roxana Moran from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, and we're on Rock's Heart Radio. And what an incredible, incredible honor for me personally to have our special guest here today for this month. Um, we have Dr. Paul Yock uh, from Stanford University. He is uh, the Martha Meyer Whelan Professor of Medicine and the founding co-chair of Stanford University's Department of Bioengineering. He also has an appointment in the Department of Mechanical Engineering. He is the founder and director emeritus of the Stanford Byers Center for Biodesign. He previously founded cardiovascular imaging systems and has co-founded several medical technology companies. And he's been an incredible researcher, innovator, and really truly a legend in interventional cardiology, but really in all of medicine. He is a member and a Gordon Prize winner of the National Academy of Engineering. And what an honor it is to have a conversation with you today, Paul, if it's okay if I call you with your first name. <laughs> Thanks, Roxana, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, in 2018, you received this amazing honor of the Gordon Prize. And, and tell us about that prize. What does that mean uh, if you get that big prize? It's a massive one from the National Academy of Engineering. It's one to become a member, but to get a prize like that is tremendous. It's a prize for innovation, technology, education, et cetera. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. They, they have... Two prizes, one is more for the research and engineering and one is more for innovation and education. And that's the one that I was uh, lucky enough to get. Well, no, you certainly deserve it. I have known you pretty much all of my life as, as an interventional cardiologist. I remember, I will never forget, uh, I'm just gonna give you a little personal anecdote of how I met you not knowing the giant that you were. I remember that I was in a in one of the ACC or AHA or TCT, one of those scientific meetings where I was presenting something on intravascular ultrasound. And you came to my poster. Uh, it was just a poster. I was a really very young uh, person. And you asked me these incredible questions about my research. With I, I such, hope I was nice. And <laughs> with, such, with such incredible attention to, to me, the person who performed this work, it was at that time we had to draw circles every millimeter to do volumetric analyses and you appreciated the hard work. And I remember you telling me, uh, Roxana, you're gonna be a star. And I just was like, oh, wow, that's really nice. But who is this man telling me this? And then later I find that you are like this giant already in, in our field. I just want you to know that that interaction of being recognized as a young woman who was one of the very few women in interventional cardiology. And to get those kinds of, that kind of attention from someone like yourself had a huge impact in my enthusiasm for research and uh, for investigation. And thank you for that. And thank you for uh, who you are and what you bring to the table, Paul. That's um, a very sweet story. Thank you for telling me that. I, I guess it means I had good judgment. Uh, that, that uh, I, I knew that at that early stage. <laughs> it was a really long time ago, but it made such a huge impact for me. And it just, our, our listeners should note that it's really important to make those kinds of connections with early investigators and to keep them engaged. 
you know, Paul, I looked up your patents by inventor Paul Yock and, and the, just the pages keep going. You're an innovator. We all should be thanking you for the monorail technology that you brought forth and you hold that patent and everything else for intravascular ultrasound for pretty much so much of what we do on a daily basis that we're not even thinking about. So maybe as an innovator, you can give me a little bit of an input of about what it was like back then to innovate and to invent. Where are we today? And then really importantly, where are we going in the future? Because we're all overwhelmed, especially these days. And technology has taken over so much of our lives that the time for innovation and invention is, is really very much limited. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a glimpse. Sure. Well, uh, so the short story is looking backward. I, I was absolutely at the right time, right time, right place with sort of the beginnings of interventional cardiology. So, so I uh, was mentored by John Simpson and, you know, Tom Fogarty, giants uh, in the field. And the thing that I learned, uh, there, there were two things I learned from that. One is those brilliant uh, innovators actually had a process that they were using to invent technologies. And that process was rooted in really a deep understanding of the clinical needs of, of the patients, but also the needs of the other stakeholders in, in the system. And the second thing I learned is that kind of process is something that can be learned. It, it can be taught, it can be learned, it can be practiced, it can be perfected. And, and so that's, you mentioned that prize from the, the National Academy. That, that's what I've mainly been trying to do uh, is, is figure out how to bring that process into the university. And long way of saying that's the good news for the clinicians now going, going forward, because we are in a privileged position to understand the needs. I mean, there is no better basis for inventing than being immersed in the practice of medicine and, and just opening your eyes and, and understanding what needs to be fixed. But it, it's why it continues to be the case that, that really the, the most impactful uh, inventions tend to come from clinicians who are immersed in the, in the process. So I think it's good news, actually, even, even though everybody's busy, you're, you know, there's a lot to be fixed. No, I, I mean, I think it's really great to hear that. And then I think our clinicians who are listening, I'm sure are, are very much excited about something like that and enthusiastic. But as you know, the process is a little bit different now. It just seems to me that filing patents, as well as then thinking about, well, what's the next step? How do we go to the next step? And how do I still keep in the process of caring for patients, research and maybe investigation, and then separating that from the conflicts of interest that most people are frowning upon when you become an inventor? How do we do this in the best and righteous way forward? Uh, which you have done with, with a great deal of transparency, but also bringing that into the university, as you said, because having the, the university backing up these important inventions and also helping the investigators to get to the next level is tremendously helpful and, and could bring forth a much more successful 
hopefully endeavor. But what are the obstacles? How do you see the obstacles and how do you overcome them today? Yeah, there are a few threads to pull on there, I think, in, in what you said. First of all, I'd say that uh, universities uh, in general um, and, and practices are much more translation friendly uh, than, than they were when, when I got started anyway. And, and, you know, as you know, your university, lots of them are putting in programs to explicitly encourage translation with seed grants and, and mentoring and so on. And, and that's been a powerful uh, transformation. And, and this country is actually leading the charge on that. So that's all good. I would say uh, the, the places of friction uh, right now are a few. One is uh, it, it really is critically important to understand the economic picture early on. Uh, so, you know, if you asked 100 uh, healthcare economists, what is the single biggest driver of cost escalation in, in the system? 100 of them would say the introduction of new technology uh, is, is the biggest driver. And so, there are tremendous headwinds because of that, and they exert themselves in, in different places. But if I were to highlight one place, it would be early stage reimbursement for mm -hmm. a new technology. And, and that, that is a very a difficult, challenging piece of the innovation ecosystem right now. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just to be specific, you, know, you can have an FDA approved technology but if you're a startup company, you can't get that paid for, and you may die on the line because that can't get reimbursed uh, with either insurance companies or, or uh, government. So that's a, that's a big piece of, of friction. It was recently true that funding was challenging. That is venture funding, initial funding was challenging. That's easing up a little bit. The sources of money are different now. Uh, there's not as much regular venture capital going in and those really early stages, but there are other sources uh, that are moving in to fill that gap. Still not perfect, but it's going in the right direction. No, I think that's the exciting part. And, and this marriage of technology, and I think I feel like these huge tech companies are becoming very, very interested in the business of medicine. And as we now talk about the future, it may not very well be the technologies that we bring forth, like devices or drugs, but rather the algorithms that feed uh, those technologies and make for a, a more pragmatic approach of practicing medicine, if you will. And it just seems to me that that's where a lot of the focus has been going. And, and when you see that large, uh, you know, branded companies like Walmart and, and uh, CVS are becoming interested in, in maybe even becoming sort of places in, uh, where medicine is being practiced, where people could go into a booth and get their diagnosis and walk out with the treatment. It's a little bit disconcerting for, uh, for physicians in the, in the trenches. Tell us a little bit about what you think the future is. Is there still room for the excitement that you brought forth uh, with the early iteration of devices, let's say, 
and uh, technologies, or are we all going to become robots and kind of programmed, <laughs> programmed in some database? Yeah. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your uh, your future. Well, a couple thoughts. Uh, first of all, uh, there will always be the opportunity to invent technologies uh, that are better than the existing technologies. You know, there was a phase you went through this where where we were thinking that interventional cardiology, we, we've kind of done it, you know, we figured out coronaries and, and then valves came along, right? And there, there will always be another thing that we haven't thought of. Uh, so, so even that by itself is enough to sustain, you know, careers of innovators. But you were hitting at a couple of other really interesting things, uh, which is, first of all, health technology innovation is moving outside of the hospital, right? There, there is a lot of really interesting work going on in maximizing health in early diagnosis and early stages of treatment before you even have to get to the hospital. And uh, we mentioned health economics. This is really important because if you look at the curve of cost of a healthcare episode, uh, that curve spirals crazy when you go in the hospital. You, you know, if you can keep people out of the hospital, that's the economical thing to do. So that is the place to be looking. If you're an innovator now, th that pre-hospital experience, whether it's Walgreens or, or, you know, at home, is the place, a great place to look for, for innovation. Then you mentioned digital uh, apps and so on. I'm, I'm optimistic for a really uh, specific re uh, reason with those technologies. And that is we have never had a decent lever to pull in terms of patient behavior. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is finally uh, in, in the right areas, a place where you can really influence how people behave. Uh, and, and that's why all that money is flowing into that sector is, is everybody senses this and, and there is also still huge opportunity there you know that the big tech companies are not getting this right <laughs> at this point I mean there there is still huge room uh, for for us you know as innovators to come in and, and figure out what the needs really are and to bring those technologies forward so inspiring and because I think what you just said really resonated with me influencing behaviors I certainly can tell I could tell you that they, the tech companies have figured out how to influence teenage behaviors, that's for sure, <laughs> how to influence buying power or uh, advertisements and excitement about whatever the product is out there. But influencing patient behavior and how it could impact medicine is like a whole nother, I think, stratosphere that we absolutely have to invade and, and, and get into. Certainly, we are seeing clinical trials moving in that direction. I just put a grant in where our um, steering committee included patients uh, so that they could tell us what should be the endpoint that they care about rather than what we care about or what device or drug companies care about. And I think in order to get it like what you said, used so early technology then being adopted uh, and then used, it's, it's really important to have that whole cycle of innovation complete itself into the consumer's hand. And I think what you just said is brilliant as always. And I think it's tremendous to have those insights. So last comments, maybe some positives about 
something, some advice that you could give this very, very young um, uh, entrepreneur who's really excited about their technology? What's, what's your biggest advice? Uh, so the biggest advice actually it isn't uh, sexy. It is um, your biggest job as an innovator is to pick the right clinical need that, that you're going to address. And there is a huge temptation to fall in love too quickly with a need that, that you see. And you, you have to pause and consider what other things you could devote the next five years of your life and you know millions of dollars in, in pursuing. Put some discipline back in that question. And, and you should spend uh, a, a good you know, weeks, months pausing and looking at other things that you could pursue just to make sure that's the thing you want to jump on. What an amazing piece of advice. I, I, I would give that to also my daughters in, in choosing their partners. So <laughs> <laughs> that also is a far, very, very good advice to take away. Well, Dr. Yock, Paul, what a wonderful honor to have you here. Thank you so much for your time out of your busy schedule and for honoring us and bestowing the honor of having you on our program. Thank you this for joining was, us. This was fun, thorough pleasure. Thank you, Roxana. Thank you.